Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. Right, if you think about that song, Song Cry, to the woman who um, helped him got, get a car, you know, who's holding him down, and now he out there just doing the most and all of this other stuff. So he's a very different person, and everybody's like, oh, this is wonderful. This is grown man hip-hop. That was me, too. I was excited. But there was a, a key piece that we missed in that conversation. A, like, how do you repair the harm that you did all of this time? Because when Jay-Z says, you know, it took for my daughter to be born to see through the world through her eyes, He's almost a century. He's 50 years old. You know, he's almost a, half of 100 years old. He's the yeah. son of a black mother, the brother of a, of a black woman. He has a black wife. And it took all of his time for him to see the world through a woman's eyes. Right. But the yeah. opposite is true for a lot of black women. Like a lot of us, we have this state. We're all, we were all radicalized to like fight for our brothers and um, fight against Matt. I'm talking about myself. When I went to college, mm-hmm. I'm majoring in criminal justice so that I can correct the system that's, you know, hurting our brothers because we got to protect the endangered black man. All we knew was to see the world through your eyes, right? We saw the world through your eyes before we saw us. Us, us, us. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome uh, back once again. again. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, hey, hey, family, we are we are on struggle today. We got a an echo in the recording. We got headphones on. We doing all type of new shit today, but we gonna rock through it like we always do and give you a dope episode. I, honestly, today's episode makes me nervous. Nervous. It does. It, 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 it makes me nervous because it challenges 
the privilege that you and I operate with on a daily basis. And, 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 and challenges it in a way that it forces us to think about things that we normally walk through the earth and the community and the country without having to think about, right? But I think we need to because we look at white folks all day long and wonder, what the hell are you doing with your privilege? Why, why aren't you paying attention to what's happening here while we're failing to pay attention to what's happening here? That's what, that's what got me about today. Mm. So it made me think about this. What should we be willing to sacrifice for the culture? And is the culture fair or right to expect us to sacrifice on its behalf? Which leads me to, like, hip-hop in itself is such a huge part of the culture. But in itself, has it been derogatory? Ooh. Right? At the very least, did it introduce this idea of the way we speak to, think of, and address our black women in the community? Even the fact that we use the word our black women, right? As a possession. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I'm More not going to do this justice, but I know our guest today will. I want to hit you with two words that we use all the time as we talk about black women in the community. Ride or die. We want a ride or die sister beside us. Yeah. But do true. we ever like really stop and think, what the hell does that mean? We're saying... Either you ride with me, don't drive, you get on the passenger seat and ride with me. And if I ain't got a car, you get on my handlebars or the back of my seat <laughs> and my you scooter. ride with me mm -hmm. or you die. Right. Off the edge of the cliff. Just go with me. That's wild when you really think about that. Crazy, but we yeah. say it so often and don't even think about what that really means. Okay. I'm talking way too long. I'm talking way too long. Our guest today is a mastermind. She is an acclaimed writer, a journalism instructor, a Soros fellow, and the author of the new book, soon to release, very soon to release. As a matter of fact, depending on when we launch this episode, it may already be out. Check episode notes, I'll let you know. Ride or Die, a feminist manifesto for the well-being of black women. Miss Shanita Hubbard. Welcome to Wild Black, Shanita. How are you? Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. And if I could be honest, when you say how, and you ask how I'm doing, I'm excited. This is my first time. This is my, I mean, it's book launch season, so I'm doing press. But this is my first interview, what I'm doing with Black men. And a lot of people are like, um, that's read my book. was like, I'm kind of curious about, you know, what our, and I use that term not as in I own you, but is that we're family. When I say like our brothers, how they feel about the book. So I was like, I'm, I'm curious too. Yeah. I'm curious to know and I'm excited. And in your intro, when you were speaking, you really hit the nail on the head, which is fantastic, right? So you 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 spoiling me, and you setting the bar high on what type of conversation I want to have with us, with our brothers around this book. <laughs> That's what we do at Wild Black. We set the bar high. Yes, yes. This is a standard. You hear me? Like this is the podcast I'm gonna send out whenever um, you know men ask me to come on. I'm like, this is how I need you to bring it, just so you know. Amen, amen. We'll make sure we cut this clip out. Let them listen. Come and meet this bar. 
Yes. Cool. Well, Shanita, we could not be more excited to have you here. When, when you and I talked, I think now it's been a couple of months ago, I was excited about the idea then. The excitement has only built, especially as I, as I got the chance to kind of dive into the book and consume pieces and parts of it. I got more excited. And, and one of the things that we do here on Wild Black is both Art and I are really open to checking our own bullshit. Because we sit squarely inside of the patriarchy ourselves and have benefited our entire lives, sometimes without knowledge, right? Ignorance is no longer an excuse. And I'm happy to have this conversation. I'm happy to live in where I can do better. And I'm hoping that all the brothers listening can respond to that as well. So, are you ready for this wild black shit? Yes, I am. Aren't you ready to give it to them? Let's get it. Let's get it. Okay. So, Shanita, this is how it works. You got three questions. Two questions get you warmed up, but you already warmed up. Third question is our signature question we ask every single guest. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. Maybe, I think, hopefully. All right. <laughs> question one. Of all the black sitcoms that are no longer in production, all of them, black sitcoms, I, I, one pop in my mind every time I, I read that. Which one would you bring back for a new season? And regardless of sex, which character would you replace with yourself? Oh, that is such a good question. I would bring back a different world. Okay. And I would replace um, Jasmine Guy's character because I low-key got a crush on Kadeem Harris. Uh, Whitley. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I like that. I like that. Why Whitley? He's cute. Only because she gets to have scenes with Kadeem Harris. That's all. Oh, it ain't got nothing to do with her character outside of him. No, no. I would just, yeah, that's it. That's it. All right. We're going to hit the second question. (laughs) All right, we're going to play a game. We're going to play top five, dead or alive, right? But we're going to switch it up a little bit. It's the (laughs) remix version. Normally, we, gonna, uh-huh. we would ask you about rappers or R&B artists. Mm-hmm. This time, since you have an amazing book coming out or already out, what would you, how would you list or who would you list as your top five black female authors? Oh, my gosh. That's hard. Okay. Mm. Dr. Jones. <laughs> the, order, the order rotates depending on where I am in life, right? But so always where, like, Wherever you at right now. Wherever you at right now. Okay. Okay. Um, Audrey Lord, Octavia Butler, Dr. Joan Morgan. Um, oh my gosh, I'm cheating a little bit because I'm in my um, closet. Oh, Roxanne Gay. And right now I'm devouring Candace Benbow. Like, I love her book. I'm probably like on a second read. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, who's your top one? Um, Dr. Joan Morgan, her first book, When Chicken Heads Came Home to Roost. It not only, it shaped me, it shaped my writing so much, right? Like, I never even considered um, 
Like Bell Hooks is dope. All hail Bell Hooks. But Dr. Joan Morgan, who's now my friend, she helped me to understand, me to wrap my mind around feminism in a way that I could understand it, in a way that I could see myself. But most importantly, her work cracked me open and introduced me to a piece of myself that I didn't even know exists. And that wasn't a that wasn't a cute piece. That was an ugly piece. I mm. had to do some work and contend with that. But I but that would not have happened had I not um, read her her first book, When Chicken Heads Come Home to Roost. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's where the idea of hip-hop feminism came from, correct? Absolutely. She, I always yeah. say this, she created the lane that I'm in right now. Like, if yeah. it had not been for Joan and her decades of work, like, you wouldn't be talking to me, Darius, yeah. on art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Third question, signature question. What do you love most about life while Black? We are brilliant, right? We are just the most... uh, Like, the world just... I read this quote one time, um, and I can't... uh, Melissa, Melissa Campbell, right? And it just said, the world doesn't move without Black creativity. And that is the truth. Mm. Like everything dope about America is because Black people made America the best version of itself. Our creativity drives conversation like on a local level, national level. Like it's who we are. I just came back from from Europe um, a few weeks ago. I did a few book events and I was in London and I was doing these tours where they were talking about like um, Black history in London. Ironically, it was like right, you know, around the time where Queen Elizabeth had died. So it was only fitting that marginalized people was, you know, having this discussion. And one of the things that kept coming up over and over and over again, where they were talking about, and it was, they said, you know, a lot of, they were talking about the changes that happened in 2020, right? When, and the whatever you want to call it, I call it the year that, white people realized racism was real, right? So in 2020, when right, there was this big right. um, revolution or recognition, it wasn't even just in America. There was such a ripple effect. So I'm sitting here and these brothers talking about, yes, I've been trying to get this book published about, you know, like Black people in London forever. But after George Floyd and, you know, and the, the, the riots and the protests, things started to change. And now people heard me all the way over here in London. And that is because of Black Americans shaking the table over here, right? But just Black people, we are dope like that, not just Black Americans. Like, we just make, we, our ripple effect is just so powerful. I'm going to stop right there because I go on forever. Like, I love us. I love us. Yeah. I love that answer. I love that answer. I do too. So we get to move into the dope quote now. And the dope quote is something from Literature, history, science, math, education, entertainment, any industry, any area, any field. But it pertains to the episode, and majority of the time, it's out the mouth of someone black. And today is. So I want to read this quote to you, and then I want to get your opinion on the quote. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. 
If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, these together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again by Sojourner Truth. When you hear that quote, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Invitation, right? It sounds like she's inviting people to do this labor with Black women Mm. and not just benefit from it. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're going to jump into the core of this interview then. And I'm honest, like I started the episode, I'm excited to have this conversation because this is one of the episodes where I know I will walk away and I would have learned something. So let's start at the very beginning. In your book title, there are several things introduced. And I want to take a moment and help the audience with a baseline of definition. So the first couple of questions, what is a feminist? Oh, that is a good question. Um, a feminist is a person, not necessarily doesn't always have to be um, a woman, right? But it's a person mm-hmm. that is that believes in and committed to social and political and financial justice between, with, between the sexes. What does it mean when a black woman is ride or die? It means that she is willing to do the absolute, um, that she is willing to give herself in relationships and situations. And most times, if not all times, with no expectation of reciprocity, right? Sometimes this is in relationships, sometimes this is at work, but it's just willing to give all and be all with no expectation of reciprocity because that's simply how we function. Right. I'm I'm constantly pouring out, but not necessarily being poured into. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And I'm okay. Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. Listeners, I want to remind you that we're talking about her book. It's called Ride or Die, a feminist manifesto for the well-being of black women. The last baseline definition I want to establish is this. What is a manifesto, especially versus a declaration or any other standard communication? What does manifesto mean? It's a public declaration about a specific issue. Like, that's the clearest way to understand it. Yeah. And so the question I wanted to build to in that is, why this title? Why specifically this book? Why did you write this? Where did it come from? Why is it important? Okay, let's start with the first one. Like, the the title and the reason why I wrote it and why it's important, it, it, it all answers the same question, right? The concept of a ride or die is so deeply ingrained in our culture that we use it and don't even realize what the implications are, right? Um, it's so deeply ingrained in our culture. It surpasses hip-hop, right? It's, it's, mm. Hip-hop may have made the term popular, but ride or dies existed long before, you know, Kiss, in the, you know, in the lock spit that on the track. There was yeah. ride or dies in the church modeling this behavior. We just didn't call it that, right? And whether mm. it's in the, and I always say that there's no, there's no separation between church and community, even if you've never walked inside those four walls, because I'm sure 
possibly your mother has or her mother has, right? Or your auntie has. And these are the people that raise our communities, right? So there is this, this mindset where Black women give and we pour out and, you know, we give of ourselves and there's little expectation because that's just how we function, right? And our reward is almost more labor. Like, wow, you're so competent and you're so amazing at this. We give you more labor, right? And our award is, our reward is something in church. It's a shout out in the pulpit. And hip hop right. is a shout out in a song. I need a ride or die chick. And even sometimes black women amongst ourselves, we say that I'm that ride or die. Right? But let's break down what it means. Where are we going? <laughs> Why am I riding with you until the possibility of death? Right. Like, I don't know. Thank you. Right. So I wanted to disrupt that narrative and not because oh, I don't like that song because it is it is uh, it's harmful to Black women. It, it impact, I broke down in a book how this impacts our health. It's literally killing our, us, literally yeah. killing us. I broke down in our book how it's harmful, how it impacts our, the way we raise our children. I broke down how uh, when we're so busy and the world receives us and looks at us at a ride or die, there's so many elements of our lives that we're not addressing and that our community isn't addressing. And this is all harmful for us. So I wrote this book because I wanted to disrupt that narrative. I wanted to have mm. honest and candid conversations about this. And I want to talk to us. Like th this is the, the community. I mean, I, this is us, right? I want us to be better and be stronger. Um, James Baldwin has this quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, you know, I love America. You know, I criticize it because I love it. There's no other country that I love more. I don't necessarily share the late Baldwin's deep, deep, deep rooted love for America, but I share that for us. Like, I love us. So I'm going to push us to be better and do better. And part of mm -hmm. being better and doing better is having these difficult conversations. Yeah. Yeah. E even so though, true. as we talk right now, the book in itself has not released, what has been the response to those who've had a chance to read it, consume it? How are people rocking with what you're saying, both men and women? I, I was kind of, um, this is my baby, right? I was, this is my yeah. first book. It's going to be out November 8th. So I was nervous. It's like having a baby and then waiting for people to tell you what they think about it. <laughs> so, so far, well, I can tell you, um, Gabrielle Union said it's a power, it's a must read book for all black women. You should listen to Gabby. She's knowing stuff, right? I um, saw that. Taryn Hall is singing his praises. And I, and I, most important from, and, Dr. John Morgan, she said, you know, it's clear-eyed analysis, but I got mm. um, the review. I mean, the Kirkus reviews are fantastic and the Publisher Weeklies, but the reviews that matter to me most are the Black women in my life. Like, I yeah. I gave my cousin um, one of the chapters to read, and actually she read the first chapter, and I'm not, you know, going to say her name, but she's been in a, a domestic partnership that hasn't been the best for her. She's been in that for a smooth 20 years. And then we mm -hmm. talked about already this, the ride or die mm. trope manifests in many areas of our lives, right? But it, a lot of times, sometimes it's easier to recognize in relationship. That's why I started there first. And she said, you know, what you ask these questions in this book that I've never thought about. So now I'm laying here thinking about how did I get here? You know, like, and what's next for me? What does that look like? So now she's interrogating her own actions. Now she's thinking deeper about her own life. Now she wants more. And to be clear, this it, this is not like, you know, oh, she got a band that didn't take her on a $200 date. Like it's somebody that's literally been harming her and, off, mm -hmm. and, and 
collectively people have been like, again, we just gonna stop having that conversation. So it means a lot to me that Black women that I love are saying that it's causing reflection, right? And um, at, and you, Darius, like it means the world to me as a Black man when you're saying that, you know, it challenged me and it's forcing me to think deeper. Like that's the reception. Yes, the Kirkland's reviews are cute and wonderful, right? And that's fine, but this is the reception that I want and this is what's happening. So I'm happy about that. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, I don't I don't think that there's an opportunity or room for us to change if we're not challenged. Like if we don't if we don't see something or hear something that causes us to look at ourselves in the mirror and ask the question, how do I become better? And then once I'm better, how do I make those mm-hmm. who listen to me, who hear me, who see me better, right? And and hands down, this is the kind of book that I think does that. And I think it's going to create some uncomfortable questions and conversations for people who may not be ready to accept their role in what happens. But when it comes to feminism and, and the patriarchy and, and sexism, I firmly believe that we as black folks have the ability to begin to work on it because we, we talk about racism all the time. We recognize that ism. Right. And it's the same kind of lens that's going to allow us to recognize these other isms, even the ones that don't necessarily plague us, me, men as an individual. But it's just as important as you were talking. It brought something else to me. Right. The idea of of ride or die in itself is one that I had not thought about. I had said it. I had wrapped it until I read this book about the significance of that word, specifically die, like, hey, it is this or it is over. But in your title, you talk about the well-being of Black women, right? And there are a bunch of conversations about protect Black women, listen to Black women. But that title made me stop and wonder, what is the current state of well-being for Black women in this country, right? And, and, I, and I say that openly as a man who felt pretty good about that because I've got a wife and a daughter. But again, after reading, I walked away with the question, am I doing enough? Am I asking the right questions? Am I paying enough attention? And I want to ask that question to you. What is the current well-being for Black women in this country right now? And are we listening enough? When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. That's a really great question. Uh, maybe let's start with, are we listening enough? I don't know that, who's the we? You're talking about, I'm just thinking you're, you're talking about us, right? As a community? Black men. I think, um, But answer for both. You, right? Answer for the community and black okay. men. Answer for both. I 
think there's a large part of us that are that don't want to have these conversations because they're afraid of what it could mean for them. Right. And let's just say specifically you, Darius, like you said, am I doing enough? Right. That's a good question. But a better question would be, what can I do to help myself and my brother do enough? Yeah. Right. So I don't. So it's not that I don't think I think we could do a better job. Right. Of listening to black women by asking these type of questions like, am I doing enough? And what can be done? What can I do? Like you start your quote, what's the journey truth? When you ask me, what did I hear when that quote? And I said, I hear an invitation because it sounds like an invitation to join in this fight, to join in this labor so that we can do this together. I think a great, a better question would be, what can I do to join in this with you? And then we would all be like, that's fantastic. This is where we can start, right? And a start is to identify this as, um, our issue and not like a not see this as a separate issue or not see it as divisive because it can be challenging when you're having a conversation with black men and you use the word feminism, honey. You you would think you pissed in their last cup of Kool-Aid. I'm like, I don't understand what this means. Like me wanting this is not me erasing you. This is me wanting us to stand together and include these issues. And also I it should I should hope that you, that you care about this too, right? So in, in your question, like, are we listening? I don't, I think we could do a much better, I think we could all do better at peeling back the layers to these conversations and figure out how do we go from beyond listening to doing and what that looks like. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, it, um, it kind of made me think about just the way Black men are raised. And and I want to say black men who today I think I look at as strong, intelligent, providing black men. Like, and our and our chime in here, because you you might have a different perspective, but I feel like so many of us are taught, specifically, specifically if we have a family and children, but overall to solve problems. Like our role is to be here to fix shit and solve problems. And when we start talking about conversations like feminism and conversations about seeing, hearing, listening, protecting, uplifting black women, I feel like we find ourselves in a position where I don't have the answers and I'm not used to just stopping and listening. So how do I serve? Like, how how do I open myself up to serve and be, to use the word ally or accomplice, how do I be better when everything that I've been told, taught, example, demonstrated is about jump in and fix this shit, jump in and save it, jump in and, and get it right. And I don't have the answers in this case. What do I do? Is that question posed to Art or to me? To you. Oh, yeah, that's for you. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Um, I was like, That's definitely to you. Come Art, not <laughs> right, right, right. Because right. <laughs> I'm all about solutions too. That's a really great question. So, like the the whole structure of my book, right? In each chapter, I'm on it's part memoir, and I use hip hop as an entry point to discuss yep. larger conversations that are really that are specific to Black womanhood, and it's also part memoir, right? Because um, I have this philosophy where. I'm showing my scars, right? I'm like, yo, me too. I'm not preaching. I'm not talking from a place of not me. This is what y'all need to do. I'm talking about us, right? 
Mm. But I close each chapter with a call to action, right? Because I feel like I don't want to unpack all of this stuff and leave readers like, damn, that's true. Damn, that's good. Okay, now I don't know what to do with this. So each chapter exactly. I identify, okay, what can you do with this? So I'm just thinking about one of my favorite chapters is called um, The Corners. So I'm talking about, and I'm just going to, um, not going to mm-hmm. assume you're a super hip hop, you're a hip hop petty, you know what I'm talking about. So for those who might not, and I'm old, so it's one of Common's <laughs> older songs. With, oh, that's where he dope. Wrote, that's a dope track. Ow. Yes. Cool points for you, R. I just body rolls for those who are listening. Um, <laughs> and it's, so the corner is um it is actually one of my favorite songs by Common, right? So Common is um the beat is dope. You got you know Kanye. We ain't gonna go there, right? So the, the the beat is dope, and Kanye is actually um illustrating. He's really pulling the listeners, and he's painting a mini vignette of what of the universal appeal of the corners, right? So here this man is from the Midwest and he's rapping and speaking and breaking down the culture that doesn't look very different from the corners that grew up in Yonkers. That might that doesn't look different from the corners that Biggie showed in his videos and Juicy. That doesn't look vid- different from the corners that Jay-Z shows in Hard Enough Life, right? So there's this universal theme, like this is the experiences, you know, there's, um, it's out and one part of the hook goes, it's, ma- it's our magic, our glory, our politics, something like that. Like it's definitely black men's space. And it, but in the video, there is this scene where he's showing kids, maybe middle-aged schoolgirls being dismissed from um, high school, being dismissed from school. And the camera pans in on these girls. And then as they start to walk off, they disappear. And that actually was so um, indicative of what the experience is like for black girls on these corners, right? We, you know that we have to exist there, but no one expands the lens to talk more about what our experiences are. So I revisited that song through the lens of my 12 year old self and, and, and unpack what, and told the stories about how that was my first time experiencing sexual violence before we had the language for it. Mm. When Common talks about standing on the corners, talking straightforward to hoes, I was the one of the little 12-year-old girls, probably one of the hoes dudes thought they were straight, talking straightforward to. These grown-ass men, you know, like 20-plus, that's old to my little 12-year-old self, talking about what they would do to my overgrown body, you know, and all of this mm. other stuff. Like, that was just our experience grabbing on us, talking over this stuff, especially if you just happen to be a little bit thicker, which is most black girls in the hood. But that was just something that's a universal experience for us on these corners that's left out of that narrative. But that's in this song, but it's also left out of the narrative on a larger level. Right. So I'm like, let's expand the lens when we have these conversations about being black in America to also include black women and young black girls, because these experiences stayed with us through our lives and it impact us as into our adulthood. So I closed that chapter out with a question that Darius posed, like, yo, what do we do with this? What do I want? I want you, Darius, in art and other men listening to do what your quote implied in the beginning, to jump in and share this labor. I want you guys to break these conversations down to other Black men in a way that they're only going to get it coming from you. I want you guys to hold your peers accountable, you know, who may be engaging in certain harmful behavior, you know, that you see. I want you guys to recognize that when we have these conversations, it's not to minimize any harm or any, because everything ain't all um, sun drops and lollipops for Black men 
families corners. Um, Common talked about the police roving and, you know, roaming in droves. And yeah, they are. And they come and they're snatching our law off the corners. We don't see y'all. But they're also, as the data indicates, snatching black girls off these corners and, you know, mm-hmm. sexually violating them and raping them. And this is data that I brought in. Right. So I want you guys to also be part of this narrative when we say, yo, when black black women, this is what they're experiencing, right? On these corners. Let's stand in, let's stand in the gap. Let's fight with them. Let's broaden the lens, like the proverbial lens, like in a video when Common shows you these three girls, but then you don't see nothing else. You don't see what happens to them when they walk the corner. I want you to broaden that proverbial lens with your conversations here, like by doing this um, on your platform and in your personal lives. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. How do we... I'm trying to think of the best way to say this without sounding like a old racist white man. <laughs> right? Because I, like, I, I, I pair the two so closely together and I'm so sensitive to when white people say dumb, ignorant shit that I, I hate myself to say dumb, ignorant shit. But sometimes it's just dumb, ignorant shit. So my my question turns into, you made a great point, right, about what one of the things that we can do is we can take this message, we can amplify and project it in our circles in a way and capacity that a black woman cannot, right? Because we speak the languages of, of other black men, right? But in that, when so much of the behavior has not just become accepted, but has been taught, how do we then maneuver carefully enough to understand when to speak up. If it's so normal, we don't always recognize that it's wrong. Right? Like, mm. for example, for example, we all know calling a woman a bitch is wrong. We, 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 we get that fully. But the way the word is used inside circles of, of Wait, you all said men, what? We all know what is wrong? I didn't, I'm sorry, you said you all the, know use, what is using wrong? Using the word bitch using the word bitch or, or uh-huh. hoe or, or anything like that. We all recognize that that's, that is not the way we should be addressing women. But yet and still, in so many closed-door conversations with men, that is a very common word to be used, right? And it rolls off the tongue much the way nigger does off of our tongue at times as well. How do you suggest that a, a, a brother can operate when he's in that environment to be cognizant enough to catch it, to speak up. And, and that's just one example. What about the examples that he truly doesn't understand aren't right? Where do we go for that education? Where do we go for that enlightenment? Okay, so there's two parts here, right? And you said you, you hate to sound like a, you know, like an ignorant white person, right? Yeah. One of the things we we have these conversations with white people all the time, right? I, I even hate comparing out white people. But anyway, so we have these conversations with white people. <laughs> like, well, how do we, we tell them all the time? Do the hard work. 
right? I don't mm. need, I know maybe you get it, Bethann, right? I don't need you saying yes, girl, me to death in my tweets. It's cool that, you know, you can show me I, your tiny easy Colts book and that's fantastic. But do the hard work, <laughs> Bethann. When you're at Thanksgiving table, when you're at the Thanksgiving table and your father and your grandfather and your mima and your auntie and your cousin, that's when it's hard. And they saying some slick shit that you know is dead wrong. Don't ignore it because it's easier. Don't ignore yeah. it because you don't want to mess up the vibe. Do the hard yeah. work when we're not around and we will see the ramifications later. Help us. Because if you don't do the hard work, we're going to see the ramifications later. So you have yeah. to just do the hard work and none of this is easy. But guess what? It's also not easy being in community with men who are not unlearning, who have not done the hard work, who no one is challenging <laughs> yes. because that leaves yeah. us yeah. to do all the challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, and Art, I know you, you you feel this way as well. It got tremendously more easy for me to recognize the shortcomings of myself and the brothers around me when I had a daughter. Absolutely. Right. And especially my daughter today is 14. Her her body is developing, right? She She's had a cycle. We have conversations about sex and sexuality. And it got incredibly easy for me to speak up when in the back of my head, I saw the men who would be interacting with my child. Shit got different all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Shit got real, real different. Yeah. How did we get here? Like, how did hip-hop become <sighs> such an amplification for this message? See, this is a thing. Um, hip-hop, from its very birth, has always been a microphone to amplify the voices of the community. So in a lot of instances, hip-hop is just amplifying what's already happened in our community. And I'm really glad you said that, right? Because now you said you have a daughter who's probably a little bit more developed, you know, for her age. So when you read the chapter about, and I'm literally walking through the corner as a 12-year-old girl that's more developed, and of course it's going to be easier for you. I I believe pre pre fatherhood you would have been you would have empathized, but now that may come with a bit more rage because you imagine, you know, your daughter walking through these corners, right? So, the, and I actually um, talked yeah. about this in a chapter about 444, right? Um, and that, again, if we can remember that, I'm talking about the song specifically. Yep, when Jay-Z, Jay-Z is yeah, talking Jay-Z. about, yep, he has this come to Jesus moment where it's like a very different Jay-Z that we saw on Song Cry. He's no more um, loving them, leaving them, pipping them. And, you know, he's not saying stupid stuff like, I don't just fuck them girls, I'm going to get right back. Like he's, a, you know, he's more mature and he's grown. Right. And one of the things he said was, um, it took for my daughter to be born to see the world through the eyes of a woman. And we all were celebrating. It's, it's something powerful about seeing somebody who grew, somebody grow, right? We, we, he went from, I'm just, um, you know, I was a fucking girl, I can get right back, right? If you think about that song, Song Cry, to the woman who um, helped him got, get a car, you know, who's holding him down. And now he out there just doing the most and all this other stuff. So he's a very different person. And everybody's like, oh, this is wonderful. This is grown man hip hop. That was me too. I was excited. But there was a, a key piece that we missed in that conversation. A, like, how do you repair the harm that you did all this time? Because when Jay-Z says, you know, it took for my daughter to be born to see through the world through her eyes, He's almost a century. He's 50 years old. You know, he's almost a, half of 100 years old. He's the yeah. son of a black mother, the brother of a, of a black woman. He has a black wife. And it took all of this time for him to see the world 
through a woman's eyes, right? But the yeah. opposite is true for a lot of black women. Like a lot of us, we have this state, we're all, we were all radicalized to like fight for our brothers and um, fight against math. I'm talking about myself. When I went to college, mm-hmm. I'm majoring in criminal justice so that I can correct this system that's, you know, hurting our brothers because we got to protect the endangered black man. All we knew was to see the world through your eyes. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Right. We saw the world through your eyes before we saw us. Right. We grew Mm. up. We got to protect the endangered black man. We got to show when you have conversations about mass incarceration, it's always our brothers. Not how we are impacted. Right. We always we we will stand on the line and fight and do all of this. And all of our work and reading is dedicated to this. And it wasn't until later years. Meanwhile, as the data shows, we sit here, black women dying in childbirth, you know, disproportionately Mm -hmm. impacted with fibroids, like a lot of things where we're not even fighting and having these conversations for ourselves. So a lot of us, myself included, and we were all, we've been pro-Black before it was cute, before it was a trend. We may not have have even engaged feminism until much later in life because we always saw the world through your eyes. And for you guys, it takes for you to have a daughter to see this, not a wife, but you got to have yeah. your own child, our own daughter yeah. before you can see this. So this is not something that's perpetuated in hip hop. This is just something that's amplified in hip hop. So if yeah. that's that's a narrative we have to unlearn and unpack. And you can't do that unless you want to tell the truth about that. Not become defensive, you know, not be guarded, but really tell it, really sit with that and tell yourself the truth. That's the first step. Mm. There's something really powerful about our inability as black men to see the world through a woman's eyes until a woman truly becomes our world. And it also shows you that even as a married man, we're still not seeing black women holistically enough until we create a black woman, right? Until we come together and create a child that we then (laughs) see as our entire world. That is wild. It's, mm-hmm. it's like the ego. Like, it has to be something with creation in order for you to mm-hmm. see the eyes, see That's through the eyes. That's kind of fucked up. It's like, I have to be part of you to see you. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. You, you have to come from me for me to, like, for it to resonate for that emotionally. And I'm not, I'm not picking on you, Darius. Like, this is just what, what you said. You said, when no, I no, had it's my real. daughter, and if I'm... If, yeah, and I'm not being presumptuous, but I think your your wife is a black woman, right? Yeah, right? very much so. So, and you was like, when I, right? I'm assuming your wife. I'm assuming your mom is a black woman, right? Yeah, very much so. 
<laughs> right? So it took for you to have this black daughter at your grown age to really yeah. wrestle with this and see this and connect with this. And you're not even like some, and you are a, a, a black man committed to unlearning and interrogating your own thoughts. And it still took you, to, you know, to have your black daughter for you to do this. How much yeah, harder crazy. is it for us, for black women, <laughs> for Man. other men who have not reached the, pl- the stage of interrogating their own thoughts, unlearning without being defensive and without being defensive? It's wild. Just sitting here. I got my life from a black woman. I dedicated my life through marriage to a black woman. But it wasn't until I put life in into a black woman that I got it. That's crazy. Mm. We got to do better. Mm. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I mean that the, the the complexity of that the 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 ego in that yeah yeah I, I mean I'm the same way yeah I, I, my, I mean I, my thought processes are very similar to that in in the transition of oh my god I need to think differently because I have a daughter now two daughters yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and this is like and this is this this is probably a bit of ego talking but brother I like to believe that we are more open than most. Absolutely. And it still mm-hmm. took us this long. I mean, much <laughs> like you said, Shanita, with Jay-Z being 50, I'm yep. 46. And it's probably only been in the last maybe four or five years that I've begun to really look at it. And I was always sensitive to the plight of a woman. I was always the guy who wanted to make room and make space. But again, I didn't see it until I had a child of my own, and not just a child that was a girl, but a child that was a girl that was coming of age who began to be of interest to men that I started thinking about the way that men really treat women. And 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 slightly to my defense, I felt like I could protect my wife from it, right? Because I'm six foot four and 300 pounds, and I'll punch a motherfucker in the mouth if they come in her wrong. But it's something different here. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm, 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 mm. So... And I'm glad you said that, right? You, you, you. There's this for for a lot of black women that let's think about the the fight for um against like whether it's police violence, whether it's mass incarceration. Yes, there's women that meet like me that was radicalized or, or just been impassioned by this because there are men in my family that's been impacted. But there's also sisters who ain't never met a man that's been locked up in their life, in her life, but she'll be out there on the front lines fighting against mass yeah. incarceration. She doesn't need that type of connection to jump in this fight. Why is that? Why, why to is it To want to protect that? black men. Why, why does a black man need the connection, in many cases, of a child that is also a black woman in order to really see that connection? But black women, I don't want to say are born with it, but absolutely demonstrate that ability to love us in a, in a different capacity much earlier, much faster. Like, why is that? What happened? How did that come to be? Hmm. That is a fantastic question, right? And I don't even know that if I have all the answers. I know on some level, it's just the way Black women were, we're all Black women and Black men conditioned to understand and receive love, right? A lot of, um, one of the, the narratives I want to disrupt in my book is that a lot of Black women are conditioned to see love through labor, right? Like, that's how, you know, they show love by doing all of this constant labor and part of constantly doing labor, performing labor. And that the problem, one of the hugest problems with the concept of a ride or die is when you ride in until you possibly die. And when do you when are you healing? When are you assessing? Mm. 
right? So part of the problem is us not pausing, you know, to even reflect about these type of relationship dynamics. And then our brothers, our men, like you guys are on the receiving end of that. And like when we talk about with, um, you brought up the analogy of racism, uh, um, I can't remember who said the quote, like power concedes nothing without a fight, right? A lot of white men are not just going to be like, fine, I know that I am benefiting from all of this power and this privilege and let me do what I can to disrupt that. But, you know, if I don't care how much it damages my wife and changes this, like that's just realistically does that happen? Right. So how many um, black people, how many black men disrupt that narrative in their personal lives? Right. So you're talking about generations of being conditioned with this love pattern that even though it doesn't benefit us as black women, we have not taken the time to heal, to assess, to pause, to stop riding, to mm-hmm. even see this undressed in a package. And a lot of black men are on the receiving end of this. So it's, it, it's not even in their best interest to want to unpack this and, and do the hard work. So then you just have, yeah. a, a, the cycle just perpetuates. So we have yeah. to, to break it and be willing to do and to disrupt it and do the hard work. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned this earlier about the other impacts. You mentioned health impacts that, 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 they result from this culture and this treatment and the way we view, see, and, and treat black women. So I'd love to ask a direct question there. What are the impacts on black women that we may not realize as a result of this culture? So when black women, we part of constantly writing and pouring out and doing, right, is also meaning that we operate unprotected, right? Black, this is not just me um, kind of just shooting from the hip. Black women exist in a world where we are simply unprotected, right? It's wonderful that your wife has a Darius, but I'm also, I'm not speaking like, I'm speaking on a macro level, right? We right, exist right, in a world right. where we know even a, um, a somebody as rich and powerful as a Serena Williams, she has to fight for the doctors to listen to her about her, what's happening in her body. And she almost died. Yeah. There are Black women statistically dying because our doctors are not listening to us about what's happening in our body, right? We exist in this world unprotected, even from children. There's, it's called the adultification of Black girls. When it's talking about in our school settings, our, our girls are looked at much older, much more mature as quote unquote grown. So what happens is one of the byproducts of that is when someone is an infraction in school, they're penalized a lot harsher because they should have known better because they're grown, right? Mm. So from childhood to adulthood, we recognize that we exist in this world without protection. So you, so how does that manifest in my life, right? How does this manifest in Black women's life? This is one way that, one area that we don't talk about enough. And I talked about this in my book too. It impacts the way I parent. I have a daughter and I am incredibly so protective over my daughter. In fact, um, if you listen to most hip hop songs, any ode to their mother, to their black mother, is a tribute to how much they, you know, will do the absolute most for their kids. You know, Pac is telling us, even as a black queen mama, I mean, as a crack fiend, he still was a black queen. Like, um, I love Ghostface song, like, All I Got Is You. He's talking about his mama, mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. 15 people in an apartment. You know, she borrowed food from neighbors just to, to feed the kids. And these mothers, these black mothers, I mean, we're not all share that same that same background, but we all know somebody who does, right? And we like we we recognize this. 
So the the trope of black mom, the the idea of black moms doing an absolute most for our children, that's culturally accepted. We know this, and it does is nothing wrong with that per se. It doesn't become a problem when doing the most until doing the most starts to harm your children. And for me, this looked like because I know I exist in, I know what it feels like to exist in a world unprotected. I do whatever I can to protect my child. So when she, one day she came home from school, right? And she was, she was in the second grade at the time. And she, and we were having dinner and I asked her if she wanted um, juice or water. And she said, I'll get what I get and I won't complain. It doesn't matter. And my whole spirit could have exploded because I never heard that before. I didn't understand where she got that from. She was like, oh, my teacher, she says that to us every day. Baby, I emailed that woman so fast. I was like, oh, I need to have a meeting the next day. <laughs> so I read that woman for filth. I was like, I don't know what type of docile Negro you trying to um, have my child up here being and perform to a level of blackness that you're comfortable with, but you will not teach her that she gets what she gets and she won't complain. Like, she's tearing mm. up. I ain't care, right? So I'm going off. I'm mm. doing the most. And I told people I love this story. I, I love told it. people this story. See, and that's exactly the response, right? Because that's what we do. That's ingrained in our culture. We know that. But the problem was, as time went on, one day my daughter said to me when she got older, Mom, sometimes I want to tell you stuff, but I can't because you explode. Mm. So even when I want to talk to you about stuff, I can't. So the problem was, I got so busy um, making sure that my daughter felt protected that I forgot to make sure she felt free. And no one mm. was going to check me on that behavior or even sure recognize wouldn't. that behavior because that's that's so indicative of how we used to black women operating. But a, a lot of times, if you peel back the layers, we operate like that because we know what it feels like to exist as unprotected people in this world. And that's because, mm. we're, you know, we're simply not protected. So when you ask, how does this how does this harm us? How does this impact the areas of our life? That's one of the major areas. Mm, I had to mark that as a clip to to make a sound bite out of that was that was powerful there. Mm. Listeners, we're, we're we're talking to Shanita Hubbard about her book Ride or Die: Feminist Manifesto for the Well Being of Black Women. And and where I want to go now is I want to talk specifically about the book. We've talked about the the themes in the book and some of the chapters, and it's been a great conversation. But I also want to set people up to dig into the book and understand what they should be pulling from it. So from the perspective of a black man and a black woman, as the author of the book, what is your intention and what you want each to pull out? Um, you, we started this this interview. You asked me about who's in my top five, who are some, and no matter, even though they may shuffle, like the Dr. John Morgan stays at the top because, mm-hmm. um, again, like her words, her stories, her understanding, her scholarship, like split me open and made me contend with myself. I'm not talking about for a couple of weeks. I'm talking about I had to sit there and keep thinking about it, going back and like, you know, and you can't lie. You There's no shaking you from you. Right. So it took me a really long time to be honest with myself. And then it took me an even longer time to figure out. All right, so this was some bullshit I was on. <laughs> like, how do I repair this harm? Where do I go? Where do I go from there? Right. And then that resulted in action. Like not not oh, everybody may not be able to just write a book, but it resulted in some change behavior. So what I want people to take from it, I want them to to digest it, to sit in it. Yes, the stories are engaging. Right. But go a bit deeper. Right. Like turn that mirror. Like don't just use it as a mirror into my life. Use it as a mm-hmm. mirror into your own life and course correct where needs be. 
and then tell a friend and then and then tag a friend because that's what doing the work is. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's universal right there. I was thinking how to how to ask this question. It's floating in my head and everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, well, I'll come. I'll come back to it. And and I well, actually, I'll ask it this way. You you can see me. I'm I'm flipping it to how I want to communicate this. Why is getting this right so critical? And before you answer that, and if we get it right, what does the black community look like then? Mm. That's like asking me, like, what does the black community look like when we become like emotionally healthier, physically healthier, yeah. spiritually healthier, right? We will be out of, you know, it takes us out of survival mode and into thriving mode. What would the yeah. black community look like if black women knew they were protected and didn't have to survive and mm. could thrive? Yeah. You know, look at what we can contribute now when a lot of us are forced to only give pieces of ourselves. So what would your home look like, right? If your if your wife knew that she operated in a world where she was protected, not just by her Darius, but in general, right? Like what would her life right. look like on a micro level? What would they, like these are the, we will be healthy, or we will be healthier, we will be thriving. And why is it important to get this right? Because there's a whole generation of young black girls that's dependent on us to stop remixing the same narrative. Mm. That was powerful. Mm. Okay. Um, we're, we're getting to the end of the interview. And I want to ask, <laughs> I was going to say my, my famous two more questions. <laughs> right. I knew that was coming. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I want to start with this one. If hip hop in itself is at least partially responsible, not for the creation of this, but for its amplification, Right then how significant of a role should hip-hop be expected to play in its reversal? Hmm. So there's a concept of restorative justice, right, that's coming up a lot, especially in, as we talk more about abolition, like, and what does that mean? Yeah. And I don't want to go into too much detail, right? But I'm just going to, I don't want to trivialize it, but I just want to minimize it so that people could get it quicker. So restorative justice is about like repairing. It's, it's one thing to recognize, damn, I was wrong. Okay, that's cute. That's step one, right? But this restorative justice implies taking it a step further and assessing how your harm, there was collective harm. There was that harm to the person. There was the harm to the community, right? There was collective harm, right? So let's say, for example, if somebody stole, you know, let's say Darius worked overtime to buy his daughter a bike that she had her eye on because she worked hard in school. He wanted to reward her. So he bought his bicycle and, you know, Art, you know, little young boy named Art came and stole her bike, right? Think about the harm that was caused. Darius, he, Darius missed hours from his family's life to work overtime to buy 
that bike, right? So Darius was harmed. The family was harmed. Like his daughter, he she lost a sense of trust in her. She lost a sense of trust, right? She felt violated. The community experienced a theft. Like there's a thief in the neighborhood. Your community was harmed, right? So it's not just enough for little little art to say, I'm sorry. No, or how do you restore that harm, right? Mm. Boom. So. Yeah. It's all good. Right? So it's not... It's not just enough for art to say sorry. How do you restore that harm? First, you got to recognize the harm that you did. Let's replace that bike. Acknowledge it to the community. You know, figure out a way to make peace with with Darius. Like, right there's a this collective harm, and you have to bring restoration because an apology is insufficient. So, in terms of hip hop, like, what does that look like? Like, yes, they didn't cause this, right? But there has to be collective restoration because just a four forty four is insufficient. What, what that could have looked mm. like, I felt like we missed such a powerful moment because after Jay-Z dropped the song 44, 444, I saw this, um, he had like this massive discussion on YouTube. So he has all these powerful black men. He has like Will Smith and um, gosh, there was so many. Um, just so many different black men. I'm talking to Meek Mill, all talking about who they became, how they became, you know, and the harm that they caused. Missing from that whole dialogue was Black women who could have said, well, well, Jay-Z, before those first 50 years of your life, before you could see the world through your eyes, this is what that felt like. This is what that looked like, right? So we repair that harm by revisiting these conversations and centering the people who who received that harm, right? And saying, Mm -hmm. what does restoration look like for you? Is there a path to restoration? Because only the people harmed can say that, right? So you have to revisit these conversations and and from the perspective of the people most harmed and come up with a plan for what this could look like, right? Because it has to go beyond an apology. Mm. Um, It has to be, look, of course, change behavior, but what does that specifically look like? And it would be dope if, um, you know, hip hop could also, as we approach the 50th year of hip hop, where we could be talking about, okay, what do we want to do for the next 50 years? What do we want this to look like, right? And if somebody was to ask me that, I would say just that. We want the next 50 years to be centering those who were harmed during the first 50 years, right? Let them speak. Pass the mic and, let's, and let them speak and let, and let us hear from them and let's figure out um, what, what restoration looks like. Mm. I love that. Shanita, one of the things that we recognize here... Um, is that as smart men, as smart black folks, you have to be willing to recognize when the people around you are smarter, right? You have to be willing to recognize that sometimes you don't have the answers, nor do you have the right questions, so you need to make room for the people who have both. In this case, I want to make room for you. So at the end of our episode, we always hand the mic to our guests to tell the listeners whatever it is that's on your heart and mind to share with them, right? It can be any perspective you want to share, anything that we missed, the the one piece that you really wanted us to get to in the episode, but Art nor I were, were not smart enough to bring it up and think about it. So this is your moment to make sure you tell our listeners whatever it is that you want to share with them. The only thing we ask is that you share how they can follow you, how they can engage with you, and how they can support you. Thank you for this opportunity to do that. Um, one of the places where I wouldn't say you wasn't smart enough to bring it up, we just didn't have the time to really go there, <laughs> right? Because we, when we talk about um, people are harmed, it's not just, and we talked a lot in terms of um, heterosexual relationships, right? There's harm that is done in our community that us, that sometimes cisgender hetero black women are the ones doing the harm. 
Mm. And a lot of times, and this is um, especially true towards our queer sisters. And a lot of times this flies under the radar because it is sometimes it's significantly less than harm sometimes our, our men do, right? So if you think about like violence against queer people, you're thinking about like physical violence or whatever, like thinking about like a, um, like a, I could name a million rappers where right? we're talking about violence against queer people. We're talking about that physical violence. Yeah. Like when we're constantly us, when we're constantly in this ride or die mode, we're not assessing. And what are the things we're not assessing is, okay, so how are we causing harm? And one of the ways that we cause harm, as um, including myself as like cis hetero black woman, is the microaggressions that we demonstrate against our queer sisters, things that we don't even consider, right? We know what microaggressions are, right? We know from being a recipients that there is nothing micro about those aggressions, right? That that's, you know, we understand this, but we don't often hold up the mirror enough to really do the work to censor how sometimes we are the cause of that harm and figure out how do we restore that. And that's important for us as a community because you're talking about like healing as a community. Healing as a community also means centering marginalized voices within marginalized voices, which is a lot of mm. time, which is our queer, which is our queer sisters. I love it. This has been an amazing, amazing episode full of information and challenges, and I love it. Please tell our listeners how they can track you, keep up with you, engage you, support you, buy the book. Tell them, tell them everything they need to know to go out and become a Shanita Hubbard fan. Listen, listen, listen. Can we family now? Can I just keep it a whole buck? Um, All the can way. Can you buy my book, please? I can stop working so hard. <laughs> can y'all get, um, sure. you can support. Yes. It's an amazing book. I love it and I'm proud of it. But also, you know, buy it. <laughs> you can buy Amen. it anywhere where you buy your books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And I, I would love it if you could support Black-owned bookstores. If they don't have it, please request it. Please do whatever you can to support our Black-owned bookstores. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Miss Shanita Renee. You can follow me on Instagram at Professor underscore Nita. I love it. I love it. Art, brother, you got anything, man? Hey. I feel like I materially have gotten smarter. And there's some actions that must be taken from that from that education that I've received. So thank you. And for our listeners too. I hope y'all took a couple notes. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed every second of this. And um I look forward to future conversations with us. Absolutely. There's more to come. Listeners, make sure you tune in, check the book out, go purchase it someplace, Ride or Die, A Feminist Manifesto for the Well-Being of Black Women. Listen, fellas specifically, take a second, check yourself a little bit, see if maybe there is room for improvement and then take the steps to become improved, right? You don't have to be like me. Don't wait until you have a daughter to recognize the need to truly love, care for, support, uplift, and protect black women the way they should be. Make sure you're doing your part because I read an article a long time ago that said black men are the white men of the black community. I think there's a lot of truth to that. There's some places that are pushed back, but overall, we have to do better as a group. What you laughing at? The- That's aggressive as hell, right? There. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't it? Ain't going that far. <laughs> Shit. That's too aggressive. <laughs> My man wrote that, David. <laughs> David Young wrote that. He's brilliant and engaged with that before, you know. 
before you just reject the title, engage with his work. So um, that's all I'm gonna say. Just engage with it a bit more before you reject it. <laughs> Jesus. And with Christ, that, wild black man. <laughs> Peace. We out. We love you. <laughs> if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.